I don't know what it is about that song, but man, it breaks me down. I, I think it's the arc of the story from the beginning to the end, and it just takes me on a journey through my own story. And I don't know what your story is here, but I got some less than proud moments in my life. Anybody have some less than proud moments in their life? I have some moments in my life that disqualify me from any place of honor, any place of respect. Even in this moment, if, if it could flash on the screen what was in my mind this week, it would just be the most embarrassing thing. But for the grace of God, it just continues to come and coat over it and cover me in his mercy. Man, I stand in need of his mercy today. Yes. I just love the end of the song where it just, it, it goes from creation just just joining in this worship, this anthemic worship to God, to this salvation that God came down and rescued us in all of our mistakes and failures and pride and takes us up. And then it takes us into the world and shows us images of the calamity and all of the pandemics in the world and the floods and the pestilence and the disease and the, the sickness, a world bereft of life and I think the invitation is, is, will you join me in caring about this? Before you even do anything, can you just open your heart to care? I know a lot of us have compassion fatigue because we have information overload. Because our devices are always reminding us how bad it is out there. And at some point, if you're anything like me, I cauterize my nerve endings and I just can't care about anything anymore and I can't carry anything anymore. But for some reason, God just keeps inviting us to maybe just shut off the noise, the cacophony of noise of things that just don't matter. But don't shut off your compassion for the broken world. Join Jesus in his suffering. The, the prayer of Jesus, this, this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a dream, and it's a prayer, and it's a charge. He longs for us to bring heaven to earth. And that's weird when all week long, I've experienced hell on earth. Can I get a witness? You know, maybe, maybe I'm just alone, but m there is a lot of depravity out there. There's a lot of sick people. There's a lot of a perverted, distorted, dysfunctional business going on. There's deviance. But, but in the middle of hell on earth, somehow Jesus girded up his loins and walked into the fray and showed us what heaven coming down to earth would look like. We don't have to imagine it. He showed us. He walked on this sod, on this planet, and he lived out the kingdom ethic. Yes. And he says, I have now given the baton to the church. I have this idea, and it's called the church, and that church is going to bear my reputation in the world now. We can argue whether that was a good idea or not. I don't think I would have had that idea. Like, 
I'm gonna pick a big group of human beings that struggle and let them bear my reputation. And so what people think about them is what they're gonna think about me. But it shows you how much God has entrusted to us and trusts that we can do this. When I read the articles of what's going on in the Catholic Church, I'm not like, oh, thank God, we're Protestant. No, 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 no. This is the church. And it breaks my heart. And I happen to be in that industry. If you call it an industry, I'm thinking about the church's reputation and the reputation of the heart of God. And I'm thinking about bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And instead, instead, what's gone on is the church has brought hell on earth to people's homes. And I just need a group of people that will say that that's wrong. That's not justice. That's not the heart of Christ. And we have mercy on the perpetrators. We have mercy on the victims. And we say, I don't care. We're going to still, like with Jesus, pull together in that direction. And get the kingdom ethos down here. Because if we give up, and we give in, and we give out, we are option A, and there is no plan B. That should scare you a little bit. God's not like, well, if you don't do it, I'll wipe you out and I got another idea. No, this is the, the best idea he had. And he believed it'll work. And so he prayed an audacious prayer that we would bring his culture and the very heartbeat of Jesus and the heartbeat of heaven to this planet and embody it and incarnate it. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us and his name was Jesus. And now he wants us to take all these words and turn them into flesh so people can see Jesus. Yes. This idea of bringing heaven to earth, last week I showed you a bunch of pictures of what heaven is in people's minds and pictures that are, you know, <laughs> just odd, bizarre things. And they're like, I don't want to bring that to earth. Um, I don't even know if I want to go there, but the other option is worse, hell. So I guess I'm going to have to go where there's lots of gold and I'll have a gold faucet and eat gold and have a gold towel to dry off with when I go swimming in the crystal. Like everything's gold and they just don't, re it doesn't resonate because we don't relate. <laughs> like, I think I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't mind living in a house of gold, but it just doesn't feel very homey to me. Right? You ever been to people's homes and they're so palatial and ornate, you just can't even, like, you don't want to touch it. Can I sit on that couch? You should put a layer of plastic over it first because I'm going to, like, besmirch it. And it's like, I just, I just don't know. And so I actually had a bunch of people that got into that last week and sent me pictures of heaven. I don't think they cared about the rest of the message, but they really liked the, the pictures, kind of like most of you here. I don't read, but I like the pictures. And um, so this is the first image that, that came to me like, yep. And it's usually the picture of this sort of massive city and the yellow brick road that the Wizard of Oz blends together with somehow the biblical narrative. And then it's just touched off by a rainbow around this golden metropolis. 
And uh, we get there and we come to these, these pearly gates. And in this picture, it's an oversized replica of the Ten Commandments, right? And it also has the cherubim that used to be perched on top of the Ark of the Covenant stuck on that too. And there's the blessed rainbow and it's got to be up in the clouds because all this is way up in the clouds. And then we are with Jesus and because we have to wear our Sunday best, why wouldn't we in the presence of Jesus himself have to put on our three piece suit and just wait for the verdict, right? You know what I mean? And Jesus is like, survey says, you know, <laughs> jeopardy. It just comes to mind. It's Alex Trebek. And then the, the angel is over there. Let me, let me check and see. What's your name again? How do you spell that? As if we're sort of in this like, H-O-L-D, yes. Jason, you got in. Nope, your wife's name's not there. Um, sorry about that. So, is my wife here today? So, are you here, Heidi? She was in the first service. Anyway, she's one of the goats. She goes that direction. If you're here, and I'm one of the sheep, you know, it's like this is this is whatever. You had to be here last week for that to make any sense. My wife's not a goat. She's a chick. Um, <laughs> So we get in through the Ten Commandment gates, and we finally enter the celestial city of uh, overwhelmed by the Roman architecture that somehow influenced Jesus as he was preparing a place for us, and the lion gargoyles that are there in the mansions of gold awaiting our, rev- our arrival, and the size of our mansion, and how many rooms are in it, and how many baths and half baths are in it, based on how good or bad of a job and how naughty or nice you were down here, is the size of your golden mansion, right? And then, ah, yes, we have the white robes that we're all going to be wearing when we get to heaven, and Jesus and the King, and then we have um, the angels that are going to act as tour guides to take us through this amazing city, and we're going to be like broken up in the buddy system. I like these guys, like, pick me, pick me, you know, and so they kind of all are in lines, and we're going to go just kind of walk through and uh, take a tour of Disneyland together. And then we get there, and of course, it's, there's jewels and there's gems and crowns and crystals mixed with flying horses and castles and cathedrals and with the infamous stairway to heaven made popular by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and then here's a great pic of the famous Crystal Sea, which unfortunately, maybe we got there too early, they didn't get to build a bridge, so maybe there's a tunnel, but you can see where there's, it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress in this picture. And then maybe it's a work in process because they used up all the gold on these streets, which just wigs me out. And here is a guy that's, you know, going to catch a dove. And here's a woman like, why am I here? And, uh, and we're all just like happy and just floating around in this ethereal world of absolute nonsense. And we are like, this is why I don't know if I want to go there, and I don't know how to bring that here, and I don't know if I'd want to, even if I could. But there's this passage in the Bible that speaks of heaven in a way that arouses excitement in me. I remember reading this and really comprehending it in my late 20s. And Isaiah caught a vision of heaven, and his expression made sense to my spirit. In Isaiah 25 Verse six to eight, it says this, and on this mountain, this Mount Zion, the king or the the Lord of the angel hosts will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, 
the best of meats and the finest of wines. And he'll destroy the shroud that enfolds the peoples, the sheet that covers all the nations, and he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's shame from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Something about this passage paints a picture of heaven that resonates so deeply inside of me. And, and there's like this sigh of relief, like, thank God that this is in there. This will be like a festival. And I, I think this is what God longs to bring to Lowell. That's why I love Pink Arrow. When I think of Pink Arrow, I think of a lot of people gathering for a cause and, and, and getting on the same page and pulling together in the same direction for something. I love Riverwalk. I, I love when our town just does these communal things. It, it's like a festival that God is painting the picture of here, a place of laughter and mirth, a place of relaxation and freedom, a place of music and celebration of community and fr friendships. There's going to be no cliques in heaven. There's going to be no classism and racism or ageism. It's going to be a place with no insecurity and no self-doubt and no self-consciousness. Thank God. A place without busy schedules and timelines. What if we brought some semblance of that to the earth in our lives? Not just our church proper here, but like when the church scatters that we're about being festive people. And this festival is going to be fun and it's going to be a party for the ages. But the text says it won't just be a festival. There's going to be this epic feast. And I love food. And there's going to be food in piles for miles. And in heaven, we won't get fat. It's like there will be no kale in heaven, right? I don't see that. And no superfoods to worry about carbs or you know diet or gluten-free gluten and all this stuff. We're just going to have food there. And I love food. And so it's like rich foods for all the peoples, it says. You're going to be in heaven. And there's going to be the best of the best. The richest affairs, it says in another translation. There's going to be meat in heaven. Amen? And it's going to be the prime cuts, the best meat. No hot dogs and hamburgers and brats. This is going to be the, well, maybe brats, but not hot dogs and hamburgers. It's going to be the good stuff, right? And there's going to be drinks there, and they're not going to be cheap. They're going to be the choice wines. And we're going to pop the corks on aged wine, the finest wines one could fathom. And this is interesting because... Religious backgrounds, like, what do you do with this passage if you're a teetotaler or if you don't believe that alcohol is anything but sin? And it does create incredible havoc in people's lives, but it's going to be in heaven and it won't be used anymore as a coping mechanism because it's going to be a re redeemed to its original glory. There's not going to be any drunkenness. There's not going to be any gluttony, just pure fun in a perfect setting because the king is going to pull out all the stops and he's going to spare no expense. Isn't that awesome? And this king happens to be Jesus, if you can believe it. He's the one leading this whole thing. He's the one just saying, I'm going to prepare this feast, this banquet, and it's going to rock. 
and you're going to want to be there. And he doesn't have to anymore prepare a feast like it says in Psalm 23 in the presence of our enemy and our cup runs over in the presence of awkwardness and tension. He, no, he's going to destroy the pressures that paralyze us and all the pain associated with that. He's going to remove all obstacles and opposition and sin and struggles. Because it says in Isaiah 25, he's going to destroy the shroud that enfolds the people's the sheet that covers all the nations and swallow up death forever and wipe away the tears from our eyes. And he's going to take away all the shame and disgrace from the peoples. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone knows about the shroud and the sheet. No one needs to tell us about it because we feel it all about us all the time. The heaviness the depravity, the gravity of that depravity that lays upon us like a, a shroud, a sheet, a heavy, wet blanket, always pressing us down, down, ever down. And this blanket of blah that just can just take over our lives on any given day, he's going to just remove that. It's going to be swallowed up forever. We're so used to it, it's, it's just normal to us. Can you imagine when he destroys it once for all? There's going to be no one, out, no one saying like, oh, I just feel heavy today. Or I, I just feel hurt. Or I just feel hopeless. Or I, I feel helpless in my life. None of that language. I, I'm ticked. I, I'm angry. I, I feel rejected. I feel insecure. I feel anxious. None of that. I, I feel awkward. I feel nervous. I feel disappointed. Nope, nope, I, I feel antsy, I feel jittery, I feel abandoned, I feel alone. None of that. No one's going to be like, man, I just feel sick today. I just feel like under the weather. I feel sick, I, I feel tired. Or I just feel sick and tired. There's going to be none of that there. Because when the kingdom comes, this shroud, that sheet that covers us in different ways on different days, it's going to be swallowed up as the passage we read says. And the king will say, no more. Those days are over because in this place, there's going to be rest and freedom and joy. There's no more shame, no more tears. I'm going to swallow up these things and create for you a new home, a place of shalom, of peace. When I read that, I'm thinking, well, well, we can do our darndest to make that happen here now. That could be a mission statement for us that we want to say no more of that in this place, in our community, in our friendships. We're chasing that stuff away for each other. We're trying to wrap ourselves around the world. We're trying to remove the shroud. We're trying to be a bodyguard for people's souls. And we're trying to remove the shrapnel that is embedded in their hearts. We're trying to create places of friendship and joy and peace my longing and my prayer every Saturday night and every Sunday morning and any place that we meet is God, make this atmosphere and this environment a place where people can be free to let down their hair, to open up their hearts, to not feel that shroud and that sheet and have a place to breathe and have a fighting chance to get some oxygen, to just hear you speak to them, to catch their breath. And God, if, 
if you would even be so great as not just to leave it in this building, but take it to the world and every sphere of influence that all of us occupy, that you'd occupy all streets and all zip codes with the likes of us being ambassadors of this king and this kingdom spreading this great news in this new world to the world that we're in. Does anybody want to do that? See, I think a lot of us, were biting our tongue and biding our time until the rapture, and God wants the rapture to enrapture and capture people now through us. He's praying for it. He's dreaming that this would happen and we would answer that prayer. As I read this passage this week, a thought crossed my mind about the king and the kingdom. And it was this, the king is a father and the kingdom is a home or a family. Something about him being a king and there being a kingdom that just makes me feel like it's not accessible, that it's not approachable. And I got to remember that the king here is, he's a father and he's my father and he's the father of all of those who he adopts into his family and that the kingdom is my, my house, my home. That's my family. Passage that caught my attention this week is Psalm 68.6. God settles the solitary or the isolated in a home because he's a father. And he, he longs for a family. In fact, the church is called the family of God or the household of faith. This is the heart of the king. This is the heart of the kingdom, to be a father and create a family where everyone finally belongs and is beloved. This is what he longs the church to emulate and to mimic down here. I got to thinking about our earthly fathers this week. And no matter where your earthly father falls on the continuum of fatherhood, whether awful or awesome, even the best of fathers are just simply a reflection of the heavenly father's perfection. If the kingdom is going to come to earth, I believe we will bring a fathering and a family to people who feel a missing piece as it relates to their experience in their home life. We as a church will be a home for those in the lurch because we know that God can fill in every gap left by our earthly fathers and mothers, the fractures and the fissures that uh, accompany every family in this room. And I can speak for everyone here, as good as our families are and as great as my mom and dad and my family nuclear unit was, there were gaps that can only be filled by God where I have to be fathered by God to find true healing. And I don't know what your father was like or what your home was like for that matter, but I want us to listen to the heart of our father and the heart of our family. It's calling us to be a part. He's creating this for us and he wants us to create it for others in the here and now. And some of you may say, well, my, my father, he was passive. And in Psalm 139, the psalmist said of God, you have pursued me, Lord, and you know me deeply. Another passage says, you've searched me and you know me. 
I don't know if you had a, a dad that actually pursued you and, and came after you, but God pursues you and he searches you out and he knows when you're missing because he's not passive. He's an active dad. And when you talk, he, he listens actively. He's present. You might say, my father, he, he was really silent. He didn't speak a whole lot. In Isaiah 42, it says, the Lord will march out like a warrior, stirring up his passion or his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and he will say, for a long time, I've kept silent and I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, I pant. This is God talking. Like I've held myself back. I've kept silent, but I'm going to open my mouth now. I'm going to speak in. Do you know how badly people need to hear the heart of the Father for them and for us to be the conduit or the mouthpiece of God to tell them truth and to speak truth to their heart, to hear God the Father speak to them? It's one of the greatest privileges that I have in ministry is that I get an opportunity, not just on the weekends, this is sort of a, a larger setting, but to individually in a custom way say, I just, I sense God wants to say this to you and, and to put my hand on their shoulder and just speak a word in their heart and say, I think you're a good man. And the tears just run down their face. I don't think you're a lost cause. I think there's hope in your future. I think you have something to offer. All these things that we always long to hear. I'm proud of you. You're my daughter. You're my princess. Well, well my father, he, he was uninterested, you see. Well, in Psalm 139, Psalmist says, you know when I'm going out and when I get home, you're familiar with all my ways like he's into you. And you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your gentle hand upon me. Imagine just having a dad. It's like, I, I know when you left the house, and I'm not going to bed until you get home, and I can see you're in your bed, and when you lay down, I put my gentle hand on you, and my girl's home, my son's home, because I know you, and I'm familiar with all your ways. See, familiar is the same root word as family, familial. Well, my father was absent. Well, I'm going to tell you God's not that way. In Deuteronomy 31, he said, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or terrified for the Lord your God is with you and he will never leave you nor abandon you. He won't leave you. He won't abandon you. You won't have abandonment issues. Well, my father was unaffectionate, just wasn't one to, to hug. I just didn't hug my dad much, and there wasn't a lot of appropriate touch, and he was just, he didn't get that from his dad, and his dad didn't get that from his dad, and that's just sort of been passed down, and I know he loves me, at least that's what I tell myself. In Hosea 11, verse 3, 
God says this, it was I who taught you to walk. I was the one who took you up in my arms, but you did not know it was I who was the one who healed you. And I led you with cords of human kindness, with bands of love, and I bent down to you and fed you. Is that not an awesome God to have? Reminds me of when my dad taught me to ride a bike. Remember that? And took off the training wheels and you're like, and you're going down, he's got the seat, and then he lets it go, and you're going, I'm riding, Dad, look ahead of you, and you crash, and he picks you up and, and wipes off you know, the dirt inside of your wound, and he heals you. And then he bends down, a dad who will stoop down and come down to your level. I like to do this with kids and just put my hand on my child and talk to them. He's affectionate. My dad, he's, he was untrustworthy. Numbers 23, 19, I love this one. God is not like a man that he should lie. Has he said something without following through or has he spoken and not made good on it? He's faithful. You can trust him. He's not like a man. He doesn't lie. Well, my dad, he, he was controlling. He was manipulative. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the shroud is taken away. It's what we're talking about. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you walk in to your house and your dad's there, it isn't like, oh crap. It's dad's here. There's freedom. He's not controlling. This isn't a prison. I'm not always thinking everything that I do is going to trigger dad. He's not manipulative. He's not saying words to me and I know what he really means and it's like, I feel like I'm in a jail cell. No, my dad equates to freedom. Well, my dad was angry. Well, in Hosea 11:9, God says, I will not come at you in burning anger and I will not destroy my children in that way for I am God and not man. I will not treat you with wrath. That's your heavenly father. Because he's the king and he's your father. And he has a kingdom, but it's a home. My dad was abusive. I love what Jonah says in chapter four. You are a gracious and kind God, slow to anger and full of love, a God who refrains from causing hurt or sending calamity was another translation. Wow. That's just who he is. And my dad was serious, really serious. He was very stoic. Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorite passages, the Lord your God is with you. He takes great delight in you and he dances over you with singing. How many of your dads danced over you with singing? <laughs> Not many. Not many fathers just are like, I don't care about my reputation I don't care about my composure. I want to dance over you. And the word in Hebrew is to literally twirl around over you and dance. Imagine having a dancing dad. Not a stoic dad, not a serious dad, but a dad who just like, just rolled out the red carpet and cut up the carpet and just danced. And he just doted over you and he just loved you and sang over your heart. This is the king. This is the kingdom. Last one, well, my father, he was unfaithful to my mom. 
First Samuel 15, 29, God will not break his vow or go back on his word for he is not a man that he should change his mind. He doesn't fall out of love with people. He isn't like, well, I don't feel like it anymore. This is just doesn't make me happy anymore. I'm out of here. Because he's not a man. He's not like human beings. He's faithful. There's fidelity there. And I don't know what kind of dad or mom you had or home life you had, but the kingdom of God and the king, this is the kingdom come. This is the will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's good news. You got to remember the king is a father and the kingdom is a home. And this is the culture and the spirit that God longs to bring to earth and to unleash in our communities and our hearts and in our homes. We read a verse earlier, and I wanted to expand on it and become actually even more specific. In Psalm 68, 6, God settles the solitary in a home. And this will happen, and Isaiah in chapter 25 proclaimed that it was for all the peoples and a gathering from all the nations. The kingdom won't be this homogenous group of people who look like us and act like us and think like us, and talk like us. It's going to be a confluence and a convergence of cultures experiencing the kingdom as home and the king as father. And he's going to blend every tribe of humanity together into a family. And I'm just wondering, why can't that happen now? It's like, oh, I can't wait until heaven where every tribe and tongue and nation's going to come together and we're going to worship God and all of the family is going to come together in humanity and I can't wait for heaven. What a day of rejoicing it will be. Well, what a day of rejoicing it would be if that happened here and now. And are we not in a culture that's so divisive and so abrasive and everybody's fighting for their tribal thoughts. And everybody's just fighting for their ground and their homogenous ideas. And we just, I want you to know that all the peoples in all the nations, that God is going to take away the shroud and the sheet that covers all the peoples. And if we don't get used to this kind of culture now, heaven's going to weird you out. Because it isn't going to look like Lowell. And it isn't going to look like America. And it isn't going to look like Mexico's, Mexico, Jesus. No, I know you love Mexico. It's not about a specific place being the perfect location. It's going to look like all of us coming together in a tapestry so beautiful, it's going to take your breath away. Why can't that happen now? See, the full passage in Psalm 68 says this, verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. It's a, it's a new kind of holy habitation or habitat that God lives in, that he longs for us to create the same sort of environmental and the same transcendent habitat that he lives in that's holy which means whole or pure or true 
And that means settling people that are isolated into a home. And it's not just fictitious and it's not just generic in general. And it's, it's not just something that's like, I don't know, out there and so huge. I want it to come closer that people need families and fathers and homes, you see. I remember coming home with Joshua and Caleb all the way from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And there were so many checkpoints to Rome. And then we got to the Dulles Airport and we drove up to New Jersey. And then we went from Philadelphia and we went to Detroit. And in between Detroit and Grand Rapids, after the, this long flight with these two boys that were now our sons, at the time nine months old and, and two and a half years old, I was sitting with my two and a half year old Joshua and uh, he hadn't even spoken his, uh, in his um, orphanage over there. One of the, the grandmas that took care of him, she's like, he hasn't spoken a word to us in his own language. Uh, we haven't heard him speak. We do not know what's going on there. And I remember in between Grand Rapids and Detroit, I was sitting next to him and we were looking out the window and he was just fascinated. And I, I said, Joshua, pretty soon we're going to be home. And I remember his first words that I ever heard him utter was, home. Home. I said, that's right, we're going to be home. You have a home. No. I'm your dad. That's your mom. That's your brother. Those are your sisters. We're bringing you home. I know the Molnixes had the same experience with Silas. Here's the practical place I, I ultimately want to land today is I want to wonder about giving the orphans a place to call home, to settle the solitary in homes. This would be one way that God's kingdom could practically come and his will could be done in our communities. So many verses speak of God, our king, and his heart for the orphan. He even employed this phrase when Jesus was on earth. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you in John 14. I'm going to come for you. In Psalm 27, 7, it says, for my father and my mother, they may have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Well, how in the world is the Lord going to take you in? His people are going to take you in. The psalmist said, do justice by the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. No more terror, terrorized hearts. You got to get them into safe, secure places so that they have a chance to develop and form and function a ways. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in the New Testament, to care for the orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained by the world. Why does this matter to God? Because the king is a father and the kingdom is a home. And it's a home someday, but it's an actual home here on earth as it is in heaven to bring the solitary into families. It's been over five years since we adopted Joshua and Caleb from Ethiopia. 
And I've purposely held back from talking much about adoption in our church because I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be the guy who does something that immediately looks down on everyone who doesn't do the same thing that they did, right? I didn't want to be the kind of family that immediately gets passionate about adoption and attempts to make it everyone else's calling because it's not everyone else's calling, especially only days or weeks or months after we've adopted and have no idea what we've gotten ourselves into. I wanted to share about it when our family moved past the romantic and the idealistic part of adoption where I could share from more of a deep knowing. So I've been holding back for five years. I wanted to share from a place of knowing the sorrow and the joy and the pleasure and the pain and the euphoria and the paranoia, the place of knowing the the feeling of what have we done and the feeling of I can't imagine any other life. So that my words weren't just my wisdom and my will, but, but God's. But I believe the kingdom is about caring for the orphan and the widow, that that's actually true religion, as Jesus' half-brother exclaimed. It's an Old and a New Testament thing. It's a conservative church thing, and it's a traditional church thing. And it's really not even a political thing. It's a biblical thing. I want to talk to you about the orphan as I land the message today, because there are several ways to engage this. And it's interesting that we start in this passage of the king and the kingdom at a macro level and we jump to the father and fatherlessness even in our own lives. But I want to bring it right down to this place and jump to actual, real, tangible things that can be done. Because I have a dream that Lowell will change its complexion over the next 10 years and 50 or 60 years from now, they'll wonder how this community became so multi-ethnic and multicultural. And they'll be like, I I have no idea. It wasn't people moved in. There was this one thing that happened where this one church just started adopting kids from all the nations domestically and internationally, and they, they, they created a confluence of cultures in this town so that this town looks like this calico cat. It's just a mix of everything, and it's so beautiful, all the colors, red and yellow, black and white, and it's because the church embraced the nations. And then they embraced the passages of the Bible that said God wants to bring the solitary into a home and to take care of the widow and the orphan, the fatherless. And they just started to bleed with the heart of God and breed this culture in their towns and in their homes. You're like, well, we can't do that. Well, I just want to give you some ways that you might be able to practically help in this area. First, there's something called foster care, and some of you have done this. There's 430,000 kids that are currently in foster care, and they're bouncing around to different homes. And I just want you to ask God if you might use your family to bless a child, to create a safe space for some kids that are on the margins or on the periphery or in the lurch. And you can even, number two, foster to adopt. And this is a little bit different because it's not just I can do anything for a short amount of time, but you open your heart that you put a little bit more skin in the game and chips in the table and say, God, if you open the door and you want me to adopt this child that we are fostering, 
I'd be open to do that. And then there's adoption. And there's more than 110,000 children just in the United States that need adoption. There's actually 330,000 churches. If only one church of every three would have one family to adopt a child, we'd take care of all of the kids that need adoption in the United States. It's crazy. And in the world, there's just millions. Maybe God's putting that on your heart. There's refugee services, resettlement, immigration resettlement. There's so much. We have some families doing great work in this area. Um, Jason and, and Pat Fleer, it's just powerful. Another thing is providing respite care. We had this after we had Joshua and Caleb for about six months. We had a family in our church. Ronnie and Judy say, we feel called that every week, whatever night you choose, we chose Tuesday night. For four hours, we'll watch your boys so that you can have a night to do what you want. And it has saved our lives. And they do that to this day for five years, every Tuesday night, Heidi and I go out on a date night and they watch our boys and love on them. They feed them way too much sugar and stuff like that, but um, they love our kids. And once you know someone needs that and you open your home, that is just a breath of fresh air you need. You can mentor and you can tutor some of these children that are foster kids or adopted, or maybe just they're just high risk because they're fatherless. And in our community, we have Kids Hope USA where you can spend one hour, one day a week in one school with one child and you can come alongside of these at-risk kids and you can just, you can love on them and help them through schoolwork or speak truth into their life, the heart of a father. This one came to my mind, fund an adoption. Some people have a heart and a home but don't have the resources while others don't feel the calling themselves for whatever reason but have the financial resources to make it possible for someone who does. This is how we were able to adopt. And we started the journey, but then there was a businessman that we found that was way down in Texas and he had a board and they, as a board in their business, gave a grant to one family a year and Heidi filled out all the paperwork and sent it in out of 260 some applications. They picked us and another board member said, if you'll take two, I'll fund another adoption. And that's how we were able to adopt because somebody was like, I can't adopt anymore. This one business guy is like, I've adopted like seven and I can't adopt anymore, but I'm going to start making it possible for people that have great hearts and homes to adopt. I would love to set up that in our body and to actually introduce people to each other. To give to our Swaziland Care Point where we have 120 orphans every day in Nisogo, Swaziland as their sponsoring church. They rely on us for the resources to help them educationally and physically and emotionally and medically. You can sponsor an orphan through Compassion International Children's Hope Chest that's easy to find. And then you can pray. And I would just say, it, if you can begin to teach your kids to pray for families and children and birth families and caseworkers and course and host families and adoptive families and a host of others who are affected by trying to give these children a healthy home, you begin to 
you begin to teach our children the world and a love for the world because in Psalm 68, 6, it says, God settles a solitary in a home and the king is a father and the kingdom is a home. It's specific. But I want to plant that seed in our church and see what God might do to grow that seed in our hearts. So God, today, as we leave this place and we think about the festival and the feast and we think about the father and we think about the family and then we think about our lives and our homes and we think about the ones who need homes, just would you grip our heart with a love for the world and a love for the orphan and the widow and their affliction and to just be a, a church of pure religion, as James said that really cares, that puts herself out there, that loses sleep over things with you and that bleeds and lets our hearts break for things that break your heart. God, just move in our body and make us and mobilize us into a people that affect our world and affect change in our world where your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you're dismissed today. Thanks for coming.